What is happening? Welcome to the Plus Pitch Podcast, your morning pitching podcast from PitchList.com. My name is Nick Pollock. Today, we're going to talk about the Houston Astros, and I'm surprisingly finding myself back in on Framber Valdez. Maybe? Uh, look, this is the situation. He has this cutter that he throws mostly to left-handers, and I just want him to throw them to right-handers. I think he allows far too many hits with his sinker to right-handers. That pitch goes straight into the middle of the plate too often. It has a high ICR against righties, and that cutter is kind of made to be that nullifier inside. It makes so much sense. Um, He doesn't do it, though. He really just saves that cutter for left-handers, and Framber Valdez allows himself to get in these situations of higher whips and more uh, hits per nine than ideal. Thus, it's not really going to be a 110 whip for Framber. It's going to be more like a 115, maybe higher, and that's the annoying part to me. That is the consequence of Framber being so sinker heavy and not really embracing anything else and you would hope that the changeup could be that nullifier to right-handers but the strike rates are not good enough on that uh it also needs to be a little bit lower at times um as i just feel like he elevates it too often against right-handers his lefties he's great i mean that sinker is so unbelievably filthy inside jam batters to lefties it's really just Framber you got to figure out that sinker inside the right-handers. And the situation is great. A lot of volume is expected. He goes into the seventh inning often because he's throwing those sinkers and that generally allows him to get those quicker outs. And you also have uh, the Astros on his side that is a good defense merged with the amazing offense that should give him a high win total. So that that's all good. The curveball is not as elite as I want it to be. It's not as dependable at just a 60% strike uh, rate. That needs to be better, and the 35% plus ICR needs to be better. It's because that curveball either finds itself way too much in the zone or just, just bounce too often. And it's not really that uh, that ticket to get out of jail um, that you want it to be in a lot of situations for Valdez. So really, to me, all it is just, hey, throw that cutter more often into right-handers and not as the back foot slider kind of thing. Just go up and in with it. And then make sure you stay away, down and away, um, with that sinker more instead of just kind of throwing it into the plate or maybe just low more so than uh, than usual. But yeah, he should be relatively safe, and that's kind of cool. And there's a lot to be said about safety in starting pitching for 170 innings plus. I just hope that the whip isn't so bad. That That's all that I ask, and please find that cutter. Okay, cool. Great, thanks. Justin Verlander is also someone that I'm surprisingly more in on than I thought. Actually, I think all of these Astros pitchers looking into them more for my um, my rotation breakdown article, which of course, if you appeal pro, you can check that out on the site. Uh, it's early access in February. All of these will be available. That's why it's early access. But if you want it now, uh, it's I've read so much about every single one of these guys. It's the most detailed report I think you'll get on every pitcher um, quickly throughout the entire year. I'm sure there'll be like singular, large thousand, two thousand word articles you get. But uh, it's kind of wild how I have these for every single pitcher inside the top 300. And it's why it's taken a little bit longer for me to get these podcasts and articles out. I apologize. But with Justin Verlander, I'm actually a little surprised that I'm kind of interested. It depends on where he's going in my drafts because I don't really want him inside my top three starters. I don't think that Verlander has that ceiling of being an SP1, SP2 again. Why? Because his declining strikeout rates, which are a product of his declining swing strike rates. And that's just kind of how it is. Despite having elite IVB still on that four-seamer, 
the extension is enough, the VAA is not enough, and the velocity is not enough, but he does command it really well upstairs. And because of that, it's an 8% swing strike rate, but really good ICR and effective fly balls. And when he doesn't have the bouncy ball of 2019, he's not leading the league in home runs. This is fine. We accept this. This is cool. The slider going down to a 15% swing strike rate, that's the problem. And I don't love that. Uh, I need that pitch to be an above average slider, one that, especially against right-handers, just earns more whiffs, especially with that Blake Snell blueprint of high four-seamers and sliders down. And to see that going to about 15% instead of the 20% plus that we've seen in previous years, it means that his his striker rate is going to be closer to 20%. And that's not cool. That's really a Toby, right? Uh, we want him to be a Holly 20 to 25%, uh, but essentially come to terms that like Verlander is like a 20% strikeout guy now. So Nick, why are you suggesting maybe as an SP4? Because honestly, he's going to be productive through the year. I don't really think that Verlander is going to just fall off a table and be like a 4-3 ERA with a 130 whip. I think he's going to be competitive and every single time he starts, you're going to be cool with that, especially with the Astros getting a lot of wins and generally having a decent whip and the ERA being fine. Now, in 12-teamers, I don't think this is something that I'm really circling and saying, yes, I want to get Verlander, because I have to mention, he's 41. The ceiling is, or really, I should say the floor is lower just because of volume. I mean, he could just get hurt and miss a significant amount of time. Also, we've seen his stuff degrade, and we saw it degrade when he had 175 innings in 2022, and it got even a little bit worse last year. And there's that worry that it's just going to keep going down. I mean, it will eventually... And there's a decent chance that it is this year too. So I'm understanding of an SP4 as like, look, I think that every single time that Verlander starts, he should be worthwhile for my team. And it's not the same cherry bomb volatility that you get from a lot of guys outside of that, those four starters I talk about, like your Hunter Greens and Nick Lodolos and Hunter Browns, who we'll talk about in a moment. It's a little different there, but I don't really want to go after, especially like in 15 teamers. Um, I, I feel that people are going to be relying to get too much out of Verlander, but a 15 teamer is one I'm like, yeah, I would be fine with it. Um, I know that sounds very hypocritical or at least, uh, doesn't work with each other, but I, I guess what I want to get rid of is this idea that Verlander still has more in the tank. And I actually don't believe that, but I don't want to undervalue that. Yeah. He should be able to go six in and constantly and get wins, right? The four seamer for Verlander is still good enough. The, Slider is solid enough. The curveball does its job. Like, it all kind of works. It's just he allows more hard contact these days on that four-seamer, and that's kind of scary. Okay. Christian Javier is someone that I've gone back and forth with uh, mentally for next season, and I uncovered some things that there's really one stat to me that just changes everything when I view Christian Javier for next year. I'm going to let you know what that is after this break. Overall, when it comes to Christian Javier for 2023 versus 2022, spin is the difference. And I mean that both in spin rates dropping on both his four-seamer and his slider, and the spinner, that is the slider, being far worse. So the first thing with RPM, there's something to be said about sticky stuff and maybe 
moving away from it a bit as he had more spin in the playoffs than he did in the regular season, but over 100 RPM on average through the year. I'm not going to make any suggestions. Maybe, you know, the ticket velocity went down uh, during the regular season. That generally you throw the ball harder, you're going to have more spin. So maybe he just found that extra adrenaline that changed things too. Something to be said there. I'm not making any accusations. It's just kind of weird. And generally we've seen correlation to that being something else helping you get there. But whatever. I'm going to say that the fastball doesn't really need that extra RPM. I mean, even at the uh, one tick down Christian Javier was still missing a ton of bats, 18% swing strike rate on that four-seamer against right-handers. It was a little bit worse against lefties. It was like 11% versus like 13%, and it still had good ICR numbers. 35% I will take on a fastball. Four-seamer, yes, absolutely. You throw that a ton, you get that constantly. It's great, and you're missing, missing bats. All of that stuff is good. The four-seamer really wasn't the issue. There were a couple starts where you didn't quite have it. It wasn't the issue, and you can say, no, batters hit more home runs and did more damage against that pitch last year. Yes, they did, because Javier needed to get more out of it, and that's because of the slider. And this slider was actually kind of good against lefties, still had a high uh, 60% plus strike rate, but, oh man, against right-handers, it went from around 60% to 50% of a strike rate. And he's still throwing this, like, what was it, near 30% of the time, 25 to 30% of the time? But not even more than that. So that's a big problem because that's all he has against right-handers. And against right-handers, you can't have more than a 50% strike rate. Without Javier having that slider consistently, yeah, this was a problem. And if you remember my SP roundups I wrote last year, I think for four months I was just saying, yeah, Javier does not have a slider and that's it. Like, that's the problem. And yeah, that is it. Now, a 50% strike rate is really low for a slider. And I've kind of always thought of Javier's breaking ball as more of a slurve or really like a curve, honestly. And he has a curveball that is distinguished different um, by someone, of course, by us then. But yeah, it's really the slider. This slider has to be the, um, uh, you know, is not normally thrown 50% strike rates across the league. Like it's not a typical thing. And I have to wonder, I mean, he did get better at it as it, as the season went on with strike rates, like the last month or so, I think he had his slider much in a much better place than it was earlier. And that gives me hope, you know, that gives me hope that if Javier gets back to a 60% slider strike rate, that really does change so much. And I know it seems like such a small thing, uh, increasing it by 20% of what it was last year. So 50, 20% of 50% is 10%, which is us. 60%? Okay, it's not points and percentages. It's fine. Christian Javier is actually so much closer to his 2022 skill set than it seems. And it really is just that. Because the four-seamer is still a really good dominating pitch, especially against right-handers still. That's pretty encouraging. And you gotta think this entire offseason is just gonna be devoted to Javier fixing that. I hope he does. And that makes things clearer to me. Now, the problem arises if you draft Christian Javier expecting that return of 2022, then I, uh, and he doesn't right away, like, uh-oh, now you have a hipster, headache-inducing pitcher stifling the entire roster because you feel like, well, maybe the next start he'll get it back and so on and so forth. And you might be holding on to this all year and you might be missing out on other things because of that and it might really drag you down. That's the kind of thing we want to avoid a lot in drafts, right? We want to not have players who drag us down the entire year and instead be constantly switching it around to finding something that sticks instead of just putting all our eggs in one basket for that spot, right? So that makes me a little hesitant to go after Christian Javier. But if you have the discipline to say like, look, Christian Javier, I'm going to draft you 
and I'm going to let you go if your slider isn't there early on. I'm okay with that. It's going to be so painful uh, when he does fix it. Because I imagine at some point, like the slider's not going to be terrible the entire year. But then when he does fix it, does he lose it? I don't know. I don't know. So it's going to be just so dependent on that. I mean, that's it. That's all you need for Christian Javi. I could have literally just done this for like 10 seconds and said, look, is he going to go more strikes in the slider against right-handers? I don't know. I hope so. He better do it. Uh, Hunter Brown's an interesting one as I think he's kind of unique as a pitcher. So Hunter Brown is really a three-pitch pitcher. It's not even fair even saying that. It's kind of like three and a half. And it's not the half of like the sinker versus four-seamer. It's actually because his slider slash cutter are really like two distinctly different pitches against a righty and a lefty. Where against a lefty, it has more of the horizontal bend. And against a righty, it has more of the drop. Um, and, and this is just from my observing the eye test of like watching him go against the Orioles where he had this absurdly vicious cutter and insanely good biting down and in movement that is brilliant and then against righties it would just kind of drop more and it's still both both of them are really good and I love it I really do it's coming in sometimes like 94 this is such a stupid good offering that uh, I have to kind of believe in Brown because yeah you are going to be throwing these these sliders, I'm not going to say the middle word <laughs> between them, but uh, yeah, this slider is just phenomenal. The question is, does he have enough command to get enough of uh, uh, like a 65% plus strike rate instead of like the low 60s and being consistent with it? I don't know yet. And when it comes to his fastball, it's a solid one. It's not as overwhelmingly good as I wanted it to be. It has more IVB though than I expected. And he did lose a little bit of it in 2023. He had this nice debut in September. And Hunter Brown became like this big topic entering last year. And he lost vertical movement. It was close to 17 inches. Then then it was 16 across last year. You could say there was some fatigue of the season going on as well that could have lowered that average mark. But the way I see it is Hunter Brown was trying to figure out who am I as a pitcher? Am I going to try and go low or am I going to try and go high? And how do I use that fastball? Then can I set up my slider properly? And can I utilize it properly? And what's my curveball doing? And I felt like through the year, he eventually said, okay, you know what? No, I'm going to actually do high four seamers. And I think that should work. With, with the qualities of that pitch, I think that works. What I saw from Hunter Brown, though, was a lot of staying away to lefties and just not really having that confidence of bullying with his four seamer. And I didn't really like that. And I don't know if Hunter Brown can really get to that Christian Javier, Justin Verlander embrace of the top of the zone with his fastball. I hope he can. And the curve that he saves for two strikes is solid, but it's not as consistent as you want it to be. It really it really is just this cutter. You know, if as long as you get that fastball, be cool. I can get this in the zone, get enough strikes with this, then just destroy them with that cutter uh, or slash slide or whatever you want to say. It's it's so good, really. Um, I don't understand why you throw like anything else against a righty or a lefty. I mean, against a righty, just like stay down and away always with this thing. It's amazing. And then you, bam, there's a fastball that goes upstairs and you go, oh man, I should have reacted to that one. And all of a sudden there's a curve underneath. Like that should be it. But he's just not polished it. And he's 25. So I, I got to think that the youth mixed with Houston and this really good offering 
um, should mean that Hunter Brown is better in 2024, and I kind of like that. And if I already have my four starters, then like, yeah, what the heck, let's take a shot at Hunter Brown. And I think there's just, it's too good of a situation as opposed to like the Hunter Green and the Nick Lodolo situation in Cincinnati, for example, which means I'm going to have Hunter Brown above them, right? I always think like, I think like Hunter Green is my barometer of a cherry bomb, volatile pitcher, and like he's the peak of them. And that's a good place to say like, okay, do I want to go Hunter Brown volatility? Do I want to go Hunter Green? I want to go Hunter Brown. I I don't want green switches. I want brown switches. Um, Oh, man. Cherry MX Browns are so bad, though. Okay, I'm so sorry, guys. Uh, You have no idea what I'm talking about, but JP Francie might know because he might be the number five starter for the Astros. It's really between him and Arkady, and it's kind of interesting. I don't know who I would prefer, honestly. I kind of prefer Arkady, but I'll talk about that in a second. They actually have completely different skill sets, but also the same. JB France, look, he is a kitchen sink guy in the sense that he's a three-pitch pitcher to both sides of the plate, but has two different secondaries for each. Okay, so against righties, it's cutters and sliders, and the cutters at high strike rate pitches is kind of like the thing we see constantly from him. While, and the slider is not as consistent. It's kind of weird to say like a really low strike rate on that. 53% strike rate. It's just not good. He just kept tugging that thing too far. And I hope that he can get that back up to like 60%. He should be able to. JP France generally is that kind of control guy in that way. Um, while against lefties, it's curveballs and changeups. And both did really well. The problem is that none of this stuff is really whiff heavy. It's more of just like inducing weak content. Contact content. <laughs> inducing weak content oh no uh yeah batters don't want that kind of content um no weak contact but really the big problem is that the four seam is just terrible it's a really bad pitch and uh he's still throwing about half the time it's it's like this game of navigating how do you get away with this fastball <laughs> and having these extra sent secondaries does that but yeah, I don't like it enough, and that's why we don't really see a 20% plus strikeout rate for France next year, right? The secondaries don't have major whiff rates, and the four-seamer is just so tasty for batters to jump at, right? So, and they're going to make contact with them, put them in play, preventing those two strike account, uh, 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 accounts, accounts. Oh, man, I can't think of anything right now. Um, So, France, to me, is like a back-end consideration for a 15-teamer as he should get some wins and hope that the matchups are good enough and all that kind of stuff. In 12-teamers, it's just a streaming option to me and not really someone that I want to chase. Um, the other one was, of course, Jose Urquidy there. And oh, it's so interesting because Urquidy's four-seamer, believe it or not, has a 19 IVB. That's so good. However, he has a terrible VIA. 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 What am I doing today? VAA, bad, like really bad extension and just low 90s velocity, which does not add up to having a good um, elevated heater. I think Verlander has a little bit more of those aspects to make it work, while Orkiti can do it. Um, he also doesn't quite get high enough on it. So that essentially meant that him trying to throw high fastballs just didn't work enough. And he did try to do it. Like, 60% high location was good, you'd think, but he had a 51% ICR against righties, which kind of says, like, okay, this is not working. They're telling me to throw this because I have an high IVB, but because everything else is bad, it's why it's still very hittable upstairs. And that, to me, says, well, hold on. 
you can have, if you have elite IVB and terrible VAA and bad extension and velocity and everything like that, you should try to go with the called strike route. And that is Zach Gallons of staying down low, which makes sense because Urquidy has a good changeup, right? He has good secondaries. So if that's the case, then yeah, go downstairs, play that game instead. And that might work. Um, I could see that. I, I really could. And if Urquidy then also was able to get that slider back, going glove side more and really hitting that on, on the corner as well, like, yeah, that works. So that might be a situation you see with Urquidy. If he's still going high lock and getting hit uh, for a high ICR with that 60% high location, then yeah, not, no, I'm not into that. Because uh, I just don't think that his four-seamer is good enough at mitigating hard contact at this point. But um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a little tweak that might work for Urquidy. Uh, Luis Garcia and Lance McCullers are going to be out for a while. And this is why I was saying, like, there's not much else depth here for the Astros. Um, Garcia got Tommy John in May of 2023, while McCullers um, had flexor tendon surgery uh, that put him on timeline of like 12 to 13 months which means that it's going to be around July or August or so that we see him, something like that. So just kind of forget about both of them for now. And when they do come back, we'll talk about it. But I I really don't think that you should be stashing either of these guys. Um, It just doesn't make sense to me. And on the prospect side, there really isn't much. I mean, look, you could say Forrest Whitley, but some are saying he looks like a reliever now. He hasn't really had the command and he's had a ton of injuries and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and there were all the stuff in AAA, like maybe Sean Dubin, but not a good option, too high of a walk rate. The only one that really stuck out, uh, stuck out to me, stuck out, my gosh, was a Trey Dombrowski. Um, he sits in the low 90s, but apparently he has a really good command of the zone and a deep arsenal. So that does make the mold of these surprising Houston pitchers like Garcia and Orchidi in France that just kind of showed up and had major league success. So Dombrowski could force himself into uh, the rotation at some point. He's hasn't even touched double A yet. He's going to likely start the season there. And then I imagine they could move him or just quickly bring him up if he's having a lot of success there. Because again, the triple A options are not very good and it's just Orchidi as a backup option right now. I mean, really, like, Brandon Bilak, do I want to do that? No, not really. So, but that's the Houston Astros. Thanks so much, guys, for uh, checking out these podcasts and everything. We're going day by day now um, with all all the way up to PitchCon. And I think these podcasts through PitchCon as well, um, which starts on January 24th through 28th. We're going five days this year as we raise money for uh, research towards ALS. Um, so don't definitely check that out, uh, pitchless.com slash pitch kind of believe the page will be up shortly. We're updating it a little bit now. Um, we'll have more information and schedule of that in about a week. And then we're going to have the event for five straight days, 11 hours a day, 55 hours, 100% for charity. Um, pitchless does not take anything, uh, for it, not even like proceeds or anything like that. It's just 100%. You put money in to donate, it's going to ALS. Um, to help stop that disease. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. We have some massive names. Oh my gosh, uh, this year. Uh, and I can't wait to tell you guys more. But that is it. So, my name is Nick Pollock. I'm here at Babbitts Below, and your strikeouts high.